Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious doc and a researcher. And right before we turned on the recording, Santosh was trying to declare shenanigans and failing. Well, yeah, what I was trying to declare was that you can't declare shenanigans, but you cannot declare shenanigans. I I was told, I, I read in an article, that I was looking through words where there's only the plural of the word, not the singular of the word, like pants. There's no pant. So one of the words was shenanigans, as in, okay, you can have shenanigans, but you cannot have a single shenanigan. I I believe I was led astray. I, I, I think Dr. Josh, you had a different this, source that said otherwise. This is why it is important. Santosh, yes. as our resident researcher, you yes. should know yes, it is I important know. to verify <laughs> your sources because you can, in fact, have a single shenanigan, mm. which is interchangeable with prank or mischief. Although okay. the more common usage is shenanigans. However... Right. What you cannot have a plural of is tomfoolery. It is <laughs> a whole entity unto itself. You can't have Tom's foolery like attorneys right. general. Neither sure. can you have tomfooleries. Oh. There is only one kind of foolery, and it is Tom. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you're fairly strong on your source on that one as well. Merriam Webster along with oh, a couple other okay. dictionaries. So depending on how much of a dictionary nerd you are, you may yeah. be able to contradict, but single shenanigan is possible, and therefore your shenanigans have been undeclared. All right, gotcha. And welcome to the show, 
in case you haven't figured it out, listening audience, it's an alternate week when we don't really have a specific topic. Well, we do. But yeah, you know what happens on alternate weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, if you don't know which weeks are alternate, just, you know, it's listen whatever to us. week we say it is. Yeah. <laughs> but but more importantly, what happens on alternate weeks is that's when we round up the medical news of the world, package it, condense it, and feed it back to you as Journal Club. Yay! Ooh. Oh, Kermit arms forever, people. Kermit it up. Now, yeah. Santosh, you had some uh, Journal Club articles you felt pretty strongly about because something happens this week and something else was declared that was not shenanigan in nature. Yeah, yeah. I, I was so excited by that. So the 33rd first annual <laughs> Ig Nobel Prizes, yes, you heard that correctly, uh, were celebrated on September 14th, 2023. There was a beautiful webcast and uh, Dr. Josh, I can definitely give you the link to provide for our wonderful listeners. But these are prizes given annually uh, first annually every year to a bunch of wonderful scientists who have done uh, experiments and who have tested hypotheses, which on the surface seem pretty wacky and weird. And why are you doing that? But in fact, have immense greater meaning. So they are not pulling any shenanigans, Josh. So in this ignoble endeavor, we will be examining research that makes you giggle and then makes you think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm so excited about these. Absolutely, yeah. And the we reason it's always the first annual is the people who award the Ig Nobels just invent whatever categories they feel like each year to award to research. So even though the ceremony itself has gone on for three decades, I don't think they have repeated too many awards. They they have a few that are fairly common, like physics and medicine, the way that no, the Nobel Prizes are. But occasionally, you know, like they have a, a mechanical engineering prize, which is, you know, there's no Nobel Prize specifically for mechanical engineering, for instance. You're absolutely right. But yeah, they have a beautiful presentation, which is the webcast in September. And Josh... If there is anybody who wants to go to the MIT Museum in Cambridge on November 11th, 2023 in Cambridge, Massachusetts, they can attend the actual face-to-face -face ceremony to, to get the, uh, the awards. So we're going to go over just a selection of a couple of Ig Nobel winners this week. Yeah, uh, who relate to medicine, and maybe we'll mention one or two of our favorite non-medicine-related ones at the end. Yeah, yeah. And just to give y'all a taste of what this was like, uh, people have won for uh, measuring the sloshing coefficient for coffee, as in when you're walking with a cup, how to walk across a room without having it slosh over. Um, spoiler, you have to alter the pace of your steps. And uh, folks in medical sciences have looked to see if people who are in love synchronize their heartbeats. So let's get into our first winner. To begin, Santosh, I want you to just tell me a word. 
any word, doesn't matter. In fact, uh, the more common and familiar, the better. Um, sure. Uh, floor. Now, I want you to repeat that aloud over and over again. Oh, this is going to make for compelling radio. <laughs> okay, okay. You can do it to yourself for a little bit. We'll, we'll go quickly. Ready, sure. listening audience? Here you go. You can listen to us on two times speed. And one, two, three. Floor, 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 And it's meaningless. Yeah, like what floor? Like, I no longer have an association with anything. And uh, my my tongue is starting to kind of mess with it, like fleur, fleur. <laughs> Try it at home. It's lots of fun. Yeah. And eventually the word becomes meaningless. It's blank. You become puzzled and a morsel frightened as you hear it. And yeah. there is actually a name for this when the familiar becomes unfamiliar. Yeah. And that is known as jamais vous. What was that? I forgot that already. No, no, that's deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about jamais vu. Jamais vu. Uh, Literally in French meaning never seen or never having seen. Jamais vu. Jimmy vu. Yeah. No, Jimmy Jimmy vu is one of your colleagues in radiology. (laughs) He's going to be so happy about that shout out. Yeah, absolutely. The ignoble research sought to document that the experience of jamais vu can be produced. In, I'm just not going to get it right, except that in it's word okay. alienation tasks, and they hypothesize that both déjà and jamais vu are similar experience memory phenomena. So. Participants had to repeatedly copy words over and over and over like a Simpsons blackboard style until Mm -hmm. they felt peculiar, had completed the task or had any reason to stop. Yeah, meaning because they were handwriting. So they could have stopped, for instance, because if their hand cramped up. So they had three categories of words. So they had words that they hadn't seen very much at all or that aren't experienced in daily life. So those are called uh, low familiarity words. And then there was medium and then there were high familiarity words. So a low familiarity word would be like usuary or sward and a high familiarity word would it's be pronounced more... sword santosh oh, oh no no sward w s sorry s w a r d like a green sward like the like the outdoors sword and... sword <laughs> and then a familiar word would be something you'd use every day like door money or a room something like that so yeah, they, they would have to copy these down, and then if they stopped, they'd have to say why they stopped. And the researchers were trying to figure out, okay, well, why did you stop? And after about 30 repetitions of the word, so really not that many when you think about it, or about yeah. one minute, that's when they started stopping and feeling peculiar. <laughs> yes. So in and of itself, this doesn't have, or at least... We had not thought that this had any medical significance. I mean, it may be tied to memory. It's often associated a little bit with seizures or migraines. But I happened to find a case report uh, that I thought was fascinating because it actually tied this experience of the familiar becoming unfamiliar to a medication. 
Is this going to be a hallucinogen of some kind or like a ketamine that puts you into like a trance-like state? No, no, it's a muscle relaxant. Oh, Um, okay, okay. So a 37-year-old man presented with new onset Jumivu and (laughs) Jamai Vu is a mental state, as we said. It's a sense of unfamiliarity in a familiar situation. They were unrelated to any known factor other than his use of baclofen, which is a muscle relaxant that we'll often give for spasms. Uh, most commonly, I tend to see it in multiple sclerosis patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But we have a we, couple other uses for it. Yeah, we have it for uh, for children who have suffered any kind of traumatic brain injury or who have cerebral palsy and they have contractures in their muscles. So these episodes occurred as each dose of baclofen wore off and resolved after the dose that triggered it was discontinued. Once he stopped taking baclofen, he had no recurrence of the Jamaivu. And this is the first known case report of Jamaivu caused not only by baclofen, but by any medication. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So usually it's a... It's kind of a circumstantial thing, and the researchers here were trying to trigger it uh, by something uh, called (laughs) – you're going to love this, Josh. It's called semantic satiation. So, <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. No more, no more semantics for me. I've had quite enough. I've had quite enough. Exactly. Meaning that you have basically said or used up a word to such a degree that it no longer makes any sense to you and the whole meaning of it kind of drops away. Another way that people talk about it sometimes is to do dissociative staring, where they kind of like stare off into the distance. So these kind of circumstances trigger this sense of jamais vu. So deja vu is the opposite, right? It's the feeling like, oh, I've been there before. I have done this, even though you've never done it. Jamais vu is, I I should know what this is or what I'm doing or where I am, but I'm I'm lost. And it can be quite discomforting and disorienting actually this isn't the same as dementia this isn't the same as being completely lost but it's this weird quirky peculiar feeling that this gentleman the 37 year old man had because of the baclofen and that our researchers were trying to find uh using the semantic satiation so congrats to dr chris moulin and Akira Connor, O'Connor, and all of their wonderful, wonderful people for their Ig Nobel Award. That is about as mature as any of the research we're going to cover today. <laughs> it, it is, but it actually does have a, a lot of uh, importance in understanding, you know, kind of the, the basis of this phenomenon in neuroscience. But because, you know, it didn't have like a, an exact place of, uh, you know, wh- where to put it or, or how to how to like put it in, uh, they had to invent the, well, literature prize. I, I know the Nobel Prize is given for literature, but the reference was called The, 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 The Induction of Jamais Vu in the Laboratory, Word Alienation and Semantic Satiation. So 
Moving on to our next Ig Nobel winner, this oh, yeah. research actually began in 2020, and we'll circle back around to that in a moment. But I want to ask, how many smart devices do you currently own, Santosh? Uh, I have not gone deep into the internet of things, Josh, that has you know connection to the internet and that can read my various things. I do have a smart scale that helps me trend my weight uh, by communicating with an app and a Bluetooth device. So that's one. And uh, I I do have one of those fancy schmancy toilets, which turn on a heating element when I sit down on it and sprays some pretty perfume and then automatically flushes when I stand up. So that's that's more sense. I don't know that that's smart. I mean, there's smart watches. There are smart oh, fridges. Sure. There smart are phone, smart sure. phones. There are smart vacuums. My inherent distrust of technology means the only device of passable intelligence I allow in my house is the smartphone. And even that, I probably give far more information to than I should. <laughs> okay. But as time goes on our devices are getting smarter and smarter. So what is the one device that you think is ready for an intelligence upgrade? Uh, (laughs) This isn't going to be something obvious like, you know, my computer, for instance. No, no, no. What's a device in your house that could be upgraded from being a dumbass? (laughs) Is is that a hit? Are you trying to are you trying to walk me towards uh smart toilets? Is that where we're going? We we are talking about smart toilets. Yay. Okay. Uh, and we're this is part of a team. Researcher Sung Min Park invented okay. the Stanford toilet. That's right. <laughs> Their mascot's a tree and their Ig Nobel Prize is for a toilet. Stanford, you are it. really coming out on top. Just a royal flush of <laughs> inventions. But um, sure. So what makes this toilet so smart? It uses a variety of technologies. We're going to go into these. This is fun. So yeah, yeah. it's a urinalysis <laughs> dipstick test. Uh, uh-huh. Not dipstick as in, hey, you dipstick, but in it can indicate protein or acidity uh glucose in the urine it has a computer vision system for defecation analysis Uh, Mm -hmm. if that doesn't creep you out it has an anal print sensor paired with an identification camera and a telecommunications link to monitor and quickly analyze and report the substances that humans excrete now we just went over (laughs) a lot there and i feel like we need to backpedal a little bit Uh, The first thing that caught my attention is anal print sensor with an identification (laughs) camera. (laughs) Yeah. So this was one of the original innovations, just like you said, going all the way back to 2020 when uh, Dr. Park et al. published a mountable toilet system for personalized health monitoring via the analysis of excreta. And we'll definitely link this study down in the doobly-doo, 
but the picture in this study that they put in here and so this by the way josh this is a nature paper <laughs> this is nature biomedical engineer hey santosh when nature yeah. calls when nature calls so they have a beautiful illustration of like the pressure sensor which senses you know when you actually sit down and then the anal print scan so the anal print scan is not like you know your thumbprint when you put oh, it it's on. exactly no like your fingerprints <laughs> Everyone, you may not have realized this, but your anal print is a unique and delicate snowflake, just like your fingerprints. And the reason we know this is that the whole point of the toilet was to provide precise, individualized health feedback. So they needed to make sure the toilet could discern between users. Yeah, well, and you... No, 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 wait for it. Wait for it. It gets better. Because I know what you're thinking. Why not just make a fingerprint lever on the flush? And they did. They Uh did. The team then realized, however, that fingerprints aren't quite foolproof. What if one person uses the toilet, but someone else flushes? Or what if the toilets of the auto flush variety? These are the questions that we depend on scientists to answer. So Mm -hmm. they added a small camera or a small scanner that images the... Uh, a certain part of the body you might call the polar opposite of facial recognition. What what I was going to say <laughs> is your thumbprint or your fingerprint has to be usually pushed up against a sensor, like, you know, <laughs> on, on a glass or something. In this particular case, as you sit down and your, you know, your cheeks spread a little bit and there are some obstacles here, right, Josh, because in order for it to get a good uh, camera view of the anus uh there there can't be too much um too much meat in the gluteus you have to open up you know <laughs> but that happens when you sit or when you squat so you have a photographic system a lot like your facial recognition one when you hold your phone up to your face and then it says oh it's josh or oh it's santosh <laughs> You can and then didn't it, didn't Dave it, Chappelle make a joke about going to the bank like that? Just like, oh, hold they, on, let me just identify myself yeah. for you. <laughs> oh, Mr. Chappelle, right this way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was the yeah, yeah. That was the uh spread your cheeks and lift your sack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I remember that bit absolutely. But yeah, it, it is so unique that you can definitely identify it. So you can have multiple users on the same smart toilet. When you urinate, it hits the dipstick, which is a lot like we're actually much more familiar with them now nowadays, Josh, because we have the stick style COVID tests, right? Where you put liquid on one end and it wicks up and it shows you something. So this is the same kind of thing. There's a little stick. And then, yeah, there's cameras and sensors that look at what your poo is like. And oh, then but how, can... how does it score your poo, Santosh? <laughs> oh, does it use the almighty Bristol stool scale? It does. It classifies Yay! stool according to the Bristol stool scale using deep learning. Yeah. <laughs> with, with every, honestly, Every yeah. sentence in this paper is just a masterpiece of the English language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the smart toilet, 
which is self-contained and operates autonomously by leveraging pressure and motion sensors, analyzing mm-hmm. the user's urine with a standard of care colorimetric assay, calculates flow rate and volume of urine, classifies yeah. stool according to the Bristol stool scale using deep learning with performance that is comparable to the performance of trained medical personnel. Yeah, yeah. So this was really cool. So they call <laughs> they called these in order to compare them. They they created what's called a confusion matrix comparison to compare colorectal stool classifications and they had two surgeons in there and basically at first they showed the pictures to the computer and then they fed in what the Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The impression of the colorectal surgeons were in terms of what the stool was. And they taught the program to say, oh, that that's a Bristol stool one or a Bristol score two, et cetera, all the way up to seven. And uh, yeah, it actually use this deep convolutional neural network training (laughs) to teach it how to score the poo. (laughs) Why is this? Okay, so we made you giggle, but now let's move on to the making you think. So this falls into a category of technology known as continuous health monitoring. Now, if we compare with, say, like the smartwatch, unlike a smartwatch, you can't take off a smart toilet. You can't choose not to use the rest. You can choose not to use that toilet, but you have to use a restroom. So you have to be monitored. And you can learn a lot about somebody's health conditions from looking at their excrement and by extension, their microflora and what's coming out of their gut biome. You can detect things like, is there bleeding? Is there a surge of COVID in the area based on what's being shed virally from the intestines. So it actually has a lot of epidemiological uses if you can convince everybody to put a toilet in their home that can identify them by their butthole. Yeah. And a lot like the attachments that we have nowadays, Josh, like the bidet that can convert your toilet to, (laughs) to a bidet toilet, there is the possibility of creating these attachments for a toilet so that you didn't have to build the entire entire toilet that way. You could just put in the modules. But yeah, the, the cool thing about this, exactly what you said, is that you can look for GI bleeding, you can look for pathogens, you can look for stool patterns, meaning how many times per day has that person come to poop? Granted, you know, they could 
be going out using other toilets, but you know, you can use this one here. And then because Josh, the person is in contact with the, 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 the stool lid, you can also get vital signs <laughs> like an electrocardiogram. Um, or if you have them pick their feet up, you can use it as a scale as well. So you have all kinds of things here going on. We're going to need a whole bunch of new toilet warning signs. Like, you know, the usual ones that show don't do an upper decker in like most public restrooms. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now it's going to be like, please don't use our toilet as a scale. It is an unintelligent toilet. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And there are going to be privacy considerations for sure. Because again, this is another smart device collecting your health data a lot like your smartwatch or, or anything else does. Now, the way it's designed is actually doesn't even send this information to you because the average end yeah, well, user, <laughs> the average end user is going to have no idea what to do with all this wide variety of biometric data. It's meant to identify you using that uh, scan of your butt print. Yeah. And uh-huh. that does not get sent to you. It doesn't get shared with the company or even with your physician. That's just to kind of log in. And once you've logged in, <laughs> then any data, <laughs> yeah, any data that yeah. you uh, De- is, deposit, sure, uh-huh. yeah. is sent via telemetry to the nearest hospital. So this is something you could see down the road in nursing homes or even subacute hospitals where you need to monitor remotely. It's just another form of telemetry. Uh, rather than making an individual human go in and collect certain things, you can actually put the toilet to work. Yeah, and this is part of miniaturizing tech and bringing it home for monitoring, Josh, that can keep people out of the hospital that don't necessarily need to stay there. So we're already developing, you know, uh, blood pressure monitoring at home and EKGs and stuff like this. So this is part of this family of healthcare stuff. We do have to take care to keep this out of the hands of, you know, insurance companies and things like this. This should really between be data that's shared between a doctor and a patient only. But otherwise, I think just like a person who's diabetic and they now have these beautiful glucose monitors that can just sync up with the doctor's database uh, so they can read glucose readings right away. (laughs) This is beautiful. (laughs) It's just like that. This toilet is basically replacing in its entirety surgical rounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They come by. At like five in the morning, yeah. are you passing gas? Did you poop? Is it black? Is it bloody? Are you urinating? <laughs> yeah, and in this case, Everything. you just read. You just read the readout from the, the from the smart toilet. And I'm, oh, Mister Smith, you know, sat on me uh, <laughs> three times yesterday. Uh, that uh, a fourteen gram, no, no, maybe like a twenty five gram Bristol school Bristol score two. And a forty gram Bristol school Bristol score six and four hundred mLs of urine. <laughs> if I wasn't no so busy being immature, I'd be super excited about. Oh, this. so good! Oh my gosh! But you're absolutely right. This this could be like a a, a electronic physical exam and, and little mobile history. It's so good. Post op day one, the patient <laughs> used me today. Yeah. <laughs> Are you are you personifying a slightly depressed 
AI that has been coupled to a toilet and then the all, AI is going, woe is me. <laughs> of all the devices in your household, Santosh, which sure. do you think would be the least happy to gain sentience? <laughs> like, oh, I could have been a refrigerator and told people about the yummy food they have in here. Or I could have been like a smart bookshelf and told them what books are available to read in a library. But no... Why must I be toilet? <laughs> Just and like an AI with ennui, <laughs> with existential. <laughs> that's that's when we know we've won. Josh is when our AIs have existential crises. <laughs> Just uh, all right. Well, you may think that there's nowhere left to go, but oh, yeah. Butt up, yeah. Story, (laughs) (laughs) butt up. Um, (laughs) And in fact, you would be incorrect because we are moving from something that everybody acknowledges is important to another study that you're going to think is literally about as exciting as pulling nose hair. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, I have to say, I I had to dig a little bit to truly understand. Uh, This was Dr. Christine. Really had to rummage around in there, Santosh. Had to rummage, had to dig around and uh, discover. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, I I had to really- You can pick your research team. You can pick your friends and your research team and friends can now pick your nose. They can, yeah. Dr. Christine Pham et al. won the Ig Nobel Medicine Prize for this. And uh, yeah, Josh, tell them about it. So we're going to start by giving you a little bit of background before I give you the actual purpose of the study, because otherwise I'm going to lose you like right yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. If if you do if you go straight into like the methods and the uh, hypothesis of the study, people are going to tune right the hell out. So yeah. let's talk about nose hair. A subject subject that you may not have ever thought you would come across in this show. And if you didn't, well, then you clearly haven't been listening to us for very long. Sure. So nose hair is like an air filter for the body. It's our first line of defense against pollutants like dirt, debris, dust, pollen, viral particles. And we have a thin coating of mucus that helps to trap particles before they can enter our respiratory system. And... We know that this works because we've actually done studies that show a higher presence of nose hairs actually reduces the risk of asthma and other respiratory diseases. Yeah, it's kind of cool because you're you're basically creating a mesh uh, on the front line to catch everything before it can get too far back and actually irritate your mucosa. There are two basic types of nose hair, which is more information than I'm guessing you thought you were going to get today. Sure. <laughs> vibrissae, okay. vibrissae, which are the longer hairs that act as a primary filter for larger particles. And then cilia, which are tiny, small hairs that are deeper inside and designed to catch particles in mucus. And they move those particles to the throat where they can then be coughed up or swallowed. Yeah, yeah. So the cilia are not true hairs that you think of, you know, keratin and that kind of a thing. They're these microscopic little cellular outcroppings that kind of, you can think of them kind of like waving around like sea anemones a little bit and just gently sweeping like that. But the hairs in front are the ones that, you know, when you were sitting in grandpa's lap 
as a little like five-year-old kid and you looked up and you just saw this forest. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because Santosh, we're all equipped with the same two types of nose hair. But as yeah. we get older, beginning around our late 30s to 40s, Mm-hmm. The longer vibrissia hairs become coarser and thicker, and that's when we start thinking about trimming. Yeah, yeah, it's the. <laughs> like I said, I'm I'm just about there too. Where you know, if I don't take care of something, uh, thank God. By the way, we're we're currently masking in our hospital because otherwise, you know, you can just be you know grossing somebody out, looking vaguely like a human walrus. So let's briefly talk. We're still not at the study yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nose hair is safe to trim. Letting it grow is also not dangerous. So it's your choice how you want to regulate your nose hair, because as we said, it does serve a protective function. However, if you do decide to trim, only use a nose hair trimmer or scissors and only on those that go creeping past the nostrils. Do you do you pluck your nose hairs? You shouldn't. No, Why shouldn't never... you? So these are quite sensitive hairs that sit uh they're they're not you know on skin the way that your other hair on the outside of your body these actually rest on very delicate mucosa right so a you actually want to keep the follicle intact and you want the hair to be growing out to keep that mesh going that you know that filter for all the bad stuff from the outside but two when you pluck, you really harm the follicle, the the base of the hair. And that irritation and inflammation can actually turn into pathology later on uh, if you keep at it over and over and over. So you don't want to do that. You just want to create a little bit of trim and just the hairs that are poking out the front, you know, out the front, just it's cosmetic. That's all it is. You just want to keep it so that, you know, they're not creeping down your lip. Yeah. And (laughs) By plucking, you increase the chance of ingrown hairs, of infections like folliculitis, or a nasal vestibulitis, uh, which is an infection of the nasal cavity. And there's even several studies that show nasal hair plucking is actually a risk factor for nasal vestibulitis uh, in about 14% of cases. And there's not a ton of nasal vestibulitis cases. Yeah. So... (laughs) 14% is a pretty, it's a not insignificant number. Yeah. As with all things in cosmesis, right? If you overdo it, you're going to cause problems. Jada Pinkett Smith. Is that a typical Dr. J segue? (laughs) It is. Don't worry. I'm coming around to a point. Wait, but are you going to remember to keep your, uh, keep her name out of your friggin' mouth from now on? (laughs) Don't worry. Will's not around. I checked for the Fresh Prince. Yeah. <laughs> well, if there are no I've Fresh Prince around, him. then. Yeah, I guess. So <laughs> alopecia, or specifically alopecia areata, is an inflammatory condition associated with hair loss of the scalp, eyelashes, eyebrows, and nostrils. Why is this important? Well, a lot of alopecia patients have significantly experienced uh, significantly increased risk of allergies and upper respiratory infections and nasal dryness due to the lack of nose hairs. But the quantification of nose hair and the effects of lack of nose hair 
on quality of life and health has not been studied yet in depth until (laughs) we come to this year's Ig Nobel Prize study. And Santos, what's the name of the paper? Measurement and Quantification of Cadaveric Nasal Hairs. That's right. You heard properly. Cadaveric, meaning they went and saw dead people. 20 cadavers from a medical school in Southern California. Irvine, had... go anteaters. Ah, that's even better. <laughs> University of California, Irvine people, their mascot is the anteater, I believe. So (laughs) researchers in 2020 used a measuring tape to check the length of nose hair as well as individually count the number of hairs on each side to see if people were left or right nasal dominant or if that even made a difference. (laughs) If you're interested... I, I need to ask that on my history taking form from now on for all my patients and remember it as a thing. I was like, are you right na- right nasal or left nasal hair dominant? If you're interested, the average number of nose hairs was 120 in the left and 122 in the right. Okay. I don't know oh. what to do with that information. <laughs> Well, let me let me put it this way. So this is kind of the cool part, Josh. So just as with everything, when you want to study a biological phenomenon, you have to establish some form of a baseline. So sometimes these are very interesting and complex. But if you remember all the way back to the 1800s, when Dr. Wunderlich actually established the basals and norms for temperature by using the very first, you know, human thermometers on people and therefore created this idea of like 97.5 or 98.5 as a base. Which we know is inaccurate, but which we know is well, but he he didn't actually say that. It was our interpretation, which was bad. But this is the same kind of thing. We're establishing a or rather Dr. Pham at all are establishing a baseline. So now if we want to ask the question, like if you have a dermatologic disease like alopecia, you can quantitate the hairs and go, you know what? According to the baseline, established by fam at all in 2023 you have a decreased number of vibrissae uh, in your right near you have lost 20 percent of your nasal hairs which increases your risk of upper respiratory infections by this amount and therefore oh, yeah. we are going to recommend a preventative or prophylactic antibiotic to decrease your risk of infection that's right this could have practical <laughs> medical applications. <laughs> oh, it a hundred percent does. As does all of the other Ig Nobel winning findings that we have unraveled for y'all today. I'm, I'm telling you, folks, this is silly but important science. One that I want to just mention and and throw in that isn't strictly medicine. Yeah, but I I want to know the story of who thought of it, is a new field of study in engineering appropriately for spooky season known as necrobiotics. Oh, yes. (laughs) This is so cool. Yeah, yeah. This was actually under 
mechanical engineering, uh, Dr. Tay Fei Yap et al. And they published a beautiful paper called Necrobiotics, colon, Biotic Materials as Ready-to-Use Actuators. The, that's a fancy way of saying they took dead spiders, stuck <laughs> yeah. little vacuum tubes on them, and used them like those robot pickup claws you see in arcade machines. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So and, and kind of sadly, because they didn't want to use spider carcasses that were very dead and old, so they did unfortunately have to euthanize large spiders, right? Because you had to be able to see these things. Uh, now, spiders, Josh, the way that they actually flex and move about um, are are not like us. They don't use straight up, you know, muscles that contract and then pull your bones around in order to move around. They use hydraulics, essentially. So if you were to kill a spider and drain out the, you know, the the fluids and things like that, and then use a needle to (laughs) drive the hydraulics of the legs by yourself, then you basically create a, a dead biological claw machine that can pick stuff up <laughs> this is so creepy. exactly nothing to do with medicine but we felt you our listening audience needed to know that yeah the pictures provided in the text of the paper are particularly scary because they're showing you know the spider going down and they're lowering it with a with an arm and then you know injecting and then withdrawing fluid using a syringe from the body of the spider and then picking up a small object using the legs so it it, uh, (laughs) yeah so that's it for this week and I, I think we have adequately proven that there are no stupid questions, but there may be quite a number of silly researchers. Oh, absolutely. And I will say that every time research is funded, at least here in the United States, there is a lot of review put in justice and beneficence, meaning what are the good things that it's doing for the world and is it helpful rather than harmful? So yes, these may all be silly, but they are actually quite helpful and will provide knowledge somewhere down the road. And one of y'all actually may be saying thanks to, for instance, Dr. Pham for uh, counting hairs in the nose and then publishing that research so that you can continue on with your research. One day that could actually save a life. Not directly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it will (laughs) contribute to our overall health knowledge and safety. So uh, let take that thought with you as you go about your day. Get it if you get a chance, take a look at the show notes for links to the remainder of this year's Ig Nobel winners. And we'll be talking about a few other past Ig Nobel winners in upcoming uh, episodes and journal clubs this season. I'm so excited. I love these awards so, so much because they make science awesome. Awesomer. That's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to hear more, about future upcoming appearances that we'll be doing live or other things we have going on, sign up for our mailing list at travelmedicinepodcast.com. And 
Otherwise, if you want to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, a spin in your globe, some (laughs) silly research on your laptop. And until next time, happy travels. Bye, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.